you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Broadly speaking, there's two answers to that question, yes or no, although, of course, there, there, there may be some grey where you're not quite sure. Uh, but whatever your answer to that question is, yes or no, or I'm not sure, no doubt you've got a list of uh, reasons either that you can explicitly state or that are sort of subconsciously held as to why you would answer yes or no. So it might be uh, that uh, you have a series of behaviours that uh, you practice, coming to church, praying, that you think, well, that makes me a Christian. Or you might have uh, a series of beliefs uh, that you uh, hold, that you think, well, that those beliefs make me a Christian. Or likewise, on the flip side, not a Christian. People can have all sorts of reasons why they would answer yes or no to the question, are you a Christian? Yes, I agree with the morals, I go to church, I follow Jesus, I'm a Christian. Or no, it's all bunkum, uh, I, I'm, too, I'm too smart for that sort of nonsense. Well, Romans 10, as we'll see as we have a look and as you uh, perhaps heard as Graham read it, it gives us really uh, at its most simple what it means to answer yes to that question, what is a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to say yes to the, quest to the question, are, are you a Christian? But before we get there and see what Paul has to say, uh, let's remember that this uh, chapter finds itself uh, as part of a, a three-chapter, almost like excursus in the book of, of Romans, where Paul is talking about the problem of Jewish unbelief. Now, of course, this is one of those parts of the Bible where uh, uh, the fact that it was first written 2,000 years ago um, can, on, on first reading, make it seem a little bit like it doesn't seem to matter that much anymore. But for Paul in his day, Jewish Unbelief, the fact that God's holy and chosen people living in Jerusalem, awaiting for the Messiah, had rejected the Messiah and were persecuting the church was a big deal. And the fact that heaps of Gentiles were responding to the good news about Jesus, the, the Jewish Messiah and coming to faith, this was, this was something that the early church really had to grapple with uh, and work hard to think about it. We kind of live 2,000 years down the track and we don't think about these issues that much anymore. But uh, it was a big deal for the early church and it's something actually that we still need to think about uh, and that still has implications for uh, world politics uh, today as we think about the relationship that God has with Israel. But as we consider the problem of, of Jewish unbelief that Paul is unpacking before us in these chapters, what we've seen so far is that in chapter 9, uh, uh, the, the problem was all about uh, uh, the, the, the purposes and plans of God in his sovereign uh, election of people. And Paul was showing us uh, how... Uh, uh, this problem is partially explained by God being God and us not being God and God demonstrating his mercy and justice in choosing whom uh, he uh, has mercy on 
and whom he saves. Romans 10 is then about the flip side, the human factors that are involved. And uh, we talked a little bit last week, and I'm not going to go into it in too much detail again this week, about this tension we have to manage as Christians between uh, the sovereignty of God and our responsibility as humans for our actions. And if you want to kind of delve into that, you can go back and listen to last week's sermon. But what we have here uh, as this next chapter uh, opens up, which having talked about uh, God's sovereign control and plans, we now come to uh, the human factors. And Paul restates, as he begins this next chapter, his desire for Israel to be saved, to know the love of God in Jesus Christ. Verse 1, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. This reminds us of how he started chapter 9. I have great sorrow, chapter 9, verse 2, and unceasing anguish in my heart. About what? Well, he goes on in those opening verses to tell us about the unbelief of Israel. He wants their passion for God their passion for righteousness and holiness to be correctly placed, not in themselves, but in God and his Messiah, Jesus Christ. And at the moment, he mourns for their self-righteousness and their misguidedness, which is causing them to miss what God has done. Verses 2 and 3, Paul says, I can testify about them that they are zealous for God but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. The Jewish people have become so obsessed with proving themselves to their God, uh, so obsessed with uh, ticking every box themselves, that they have missed the point. They've, they've made it about self-righteousness. But of course, as Paul has uh, already reminded us and reminds us again, uh, it is only through Jesus that the righteousness they so desire can be attained. Paul, in fact, goes on to say, verse 4, Christ is the accumulation of the, the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. This is what the gospel is all about. You want to be righteous before God? You're not going to get there in and of yourself. You need Jesus. Paul states this at the very start of the book. Chapter 1, verse 16. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, that is the good news about Jesus, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For the in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This gospel, this good news about salvation and righteousness coming through Jesus is what the book of Romans is all about. And at the moment, he's talking about how these uh, Jewish people have become self-righteous and lack faith and are missing out on the very thing they desire. And you can understand why that might make Paul sad. People whom he identifies strongly with, he was a, he was a Pharisee, right? He was 
more, he, there was no one more zealous for God than him. He gets where they're at. He understands their point of view perfectly. But he's had an encounter with Jesus, as we read about in Acts, that has transformed him. And now he longs for others, his brothers and sisters, to likewise repent of this self-righteousness and come to trust Jesus. Now, lest we think this is a particular problem for Jewish people in the first century, uh, let me say that it is not. It is, it is very sad when you run into people who are seeking to build their lives on their own righteousness. It's especially sad when you meet them in the church. Someone who, instead of understanding that they are saved by faith in Christ believe that somehow they are saved by doing certain things in certain ways and uh, keeping up appearances and uh, 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 keeping up with certain uh, religious ritual. Those things uh, might be helpful, but they are not things that save us or make us righteous. But it's not just in the church. We see it out there in the world. We've, we've got people who think that uh, getting their kids baptised uh, and working hard and looking after their family will mean that they get salvation even though they have no faith in Jesus. Sort of a quasi-religious self-righteousness where they're just hedging their bets a little on Christ but then carrying on with their own good works which they think ought to sort of work out all right in the wash-up. And of course, it's not just the quasi-religious. Our society is full of people proving themselves righteous. They may not be doing it to God, but they're doing it to the, the, the greater good of the, the, the world or the internet. There is, uh, as I look at it, a 21st century secular self-righteousness which attaches a, a kind of humanistic salvation to particular points of view on particular issues. It seems to me that you, you, in this kind of uh, schema of secular salvation, you get saved by protesting about the right things by uh, posting the right pictures on Instagram, uh, by getting your hashtags correct and making sure you build uh, enough likes from similarly like-minded people in your echo chamber and thus you build up some sort of righteousness. But of course, Paul said, what Paul said about the self-righteous Jew applies to any form of self-righteousness. Anyone who's trying to prove themselves by their works to receive some sort of salvation will fall short of God's justice and judgment. Paul's sad about the self-righteous Jew. And in particular, he's sad 
because they should have known better. You know, it's one thing for a 21st century uh, sort of secular atheist to try and prove their righteousness in their own community to, uh, with their own issues. It's another thing for, for Paul, for the, for, the, for the Jewish people, the recipients of the word of God, the Old Testament people of God who knew the stories and who, who could see the scriptures pointing to a Messiah to, to have missed the fact that God was going to send a Messiah to bring salvation and that Jesus was that Messiah. Well, having uh, outlined his desire for the, for the Jewish people to, to be rid of their self-righteousness and instead come to Christ, Paul moves on to talking about this salvation that comes not from self-righteousness, but through the gospel. And it's a bit tricky in this next section from verses 5 through 13 to understand exactly what Paul's doing. But basically, he's actually uh, preaching his own sort of mini-sermon here in these verses where he's quoting from the Old Testament uh, and connecting these Old Testament texts to Jesus to prove that God has always been about uh, bringing salvation to his people by faith in Christ. First off, he starts in, chapter, in verse 5 by quoting from Leviticus 18, verse 5, where he says, Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law. He says, the person who does these things will live by them. And what Paul's doing in that shorthand, when we take it uh, in the context of the whole letter, is uh, he, he's reminding us of the fact that the only way to be saved, uh, if you're going for self-righteousness, in fact, if you're trying to earn your own salvation, is to fulfil the law of God perfectly. The person who does these things will live by them. That is, the person who seeks to live under the law must live under the law perfectly. Paul already said back in chapter 8 that this is a fruitless task, though. Chapter 8, verse 3, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh. No one can save themselves by following the law perfectly. It just condemns you even further. That's Paul's first point. And then in verses 6 through 8, he references Deuteronomy 30, where Moses tells uh, the people uh, that God's word, which he has taught them, uh, which he, uh, that's what he's doing in Deuteronomy, which is readily, readily available and accessible to them. Paul sh uses this uh, story from Deuteronomy 30 to, to show that uh, the word of God is again close to them in Christ who has come near and brought the way of salvation to their hearts and minds. And so, uh, having kind of alluded to that story, and you can go and read Deuteronomy 30, uh, if you like, later, to see uh, uh, how Paul kind of alludes to it, he, he then says, uh, just as the word of God was near and available and ready for, for the people uh, in Moses' day, uh, so it is again now with Christ. And simply you must, verses 9 and 10, declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that, mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. 
Not by fulfilling the law, that's a fruitless task, remember. No one can do that. Not by proving yourself, no one can do that. But by truly believing and confessing that Christ is the crucified Lord. And this good news, this, this, this word of God that has come near to us in Christ and is freely available to us uh, to receive in our hearts and, and express with our mouths, this good news is not only close and available to, to us reading this letter, it's the same good news for anyone, any self-righteous person, any person who thinks they're far off, it doesn't matter. The scripture says, Paul continues, verse 11, that anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, it is the same Lord, is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. Anyone who believes in him, Anyone who declares with their mouth Jesus is Lord, anyone who believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. The end of the day, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you've come from, it doesn't matter what you've done, salvation comes as a free gift from God. Every now and again, uh, I have conversations with people who say, uh, Chris, I could never come to your church. I say, oh, says who? Uh, and they say, oh, the roof would fall in. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with someone like that. You, you say, you should come to church. They say, oh, I couldn't go to church. If I walked into church, the roof would cave in. Uh, presumably meaning that they would enter the church, God would be so kind of horrified by their sin that he would sort of send lightning down onto the roof uh, and kind of blow the thing up because this sinner was kind of in, a, in our presence. There, there are a lot of people out there who think they don't belong in church because they're not good enough. And really, that's just the flip side of, of self-righteousness. Because there's a lot of people who think, I've got no problem walking into church because I'm super good. The sun would probably come out and the roof would open up and we'd all have a grand old time because God would be so happy that I'd graced his uh, church with my presence. Both are based... Uh, both are interacting with God as though... Uh, it was about what we do that earns his favour or anger. But Paul lays it out clearly for us. It's got nothing to do with that. Whatever your state, whatever you've done, if you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, then you will never be put to shame. The worst of sinners or the holiest of priests, I don't know where they are, save by the same grace of God. This is truly life-changing news. You can be saved today. You don't have to sort your life out. You don't have to uh, 
get everything squared away. There's not some sort of standard where God that you need to achieve before God starts loving you and accepting you and wanting to talk to you. No, the grace of God flows freely to all and we simply need to believe, trust. And God brings righteousness and salvation and takes away our shame. There's no better news. And so Paul, knowing this, moves to the next point of his argument, which is given that this is the case, that the word of God has come near to us in Christ and uh, that it's simply a matter of trusting Jesus and declaring our faith and uh, then we can be saved and this is available to anyone, then we've got to go and tell people We've got to tell people about this salvation. He goes on, verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We've got to go and tell people about this good news. We've got to go and tell people about God's salvation plan. We've got to rescue them from their self-righteous striving and and remind them of uh, the the shame-free existence they can experience under the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Paul says, we've got to do this for the Jews, but he says to us today, we've got to do it for everyone. Jew and Gentile alike, all saved by the same grace of God. There's more for us to do in this space. But I hope as we are reminded of the simplicity of the gospel message and we hear Paul's passionate plea for us to share it, that we'll begin praying for chances to do just that in the weeks and months ahead. And we're working on some stuff at a parish council level to try and uh, push more into that space next year and in the remainder of this year. But Paul gives us a warning too, or a realistic check. The gospel is the simple grace of God available to all, and we're compelled to share it. But as we share it, and because we share it, doesn't mean that everyone's going to believe and he goes on to explain from uh, by quoting some old testament scriptures uh, about what it means when people don't respond to the gospel this is the human side we had the the sovereignty of god last week now we've got the human response we we, we go and we tell the gospel and people don't respond with saving faith in Jesus, does that mean they didn't hear? No, says Paul, verse 18. But I asked, did they not hear? Of course they did. And he quotes from Psalm 19, verse 4, uh, basically saying, everyone's had the chance to hear the gospel, especially the Jewish people, and especially people whom we've gone and told. Well, if... If hearing's not the problem, maybe it's understanding. 
Again I ask, verse 19, did Israel not understand? And he quotes from Deuteronomy 32 saying basically, no. Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And then, quoting Isaiah 65 again, Isaiah boldly, uh, quoting Isaiah 65, uh, as Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who, who did, did not ask me. Paul's saying, it's not an understanding problem. The, the scriptures are there. Uh, they, they've heard them. They ought to have understood them. But the real problem, Paul says, is stubbornness of heart. Verse 21, but concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Why is it that the Jewish people in Paul's day didn't believe and trust in Jesus? Well, in chapter 9, he's talked about God's purposes and sovereign plans in election. Now, he's attributing it to their own disobedience. They have continually chosen to reject God and try and prove themselves. And there will be people who continue to do likewise, even when we share the gospel with them. Who remain disobedient and obstinate, rejecting God and instead choosing to do things their way because they figure they know better. Romans 9 and 10 hold the tension between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And instead of trying to solve that tension, I think there are things we can do in response to it. We have a gospel message to proclaim, a simple gospel message of salvation through faith in Christ. We have a gospel message that is available and open to all people no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. And we have a God who is powerful to save. And so, as Paul did, we should continue to pray, to pray for God's salvation to flow powerfully into the lives of those whom we love, of our people, our fellow Lindisfarnians, And as we continue to pray and beg for God to move powerfully, we need to keep on sharing the gospel. Keep on loving other people and presenting the good news to them and praying for God to move in their hearts and praying that they would repent of their sins and stop trying to prove themselves. Stop trying to be their own kings and instead bow the knee before the King of Kings. I started this message asking you if you're a Christian. 
And I want to finish by asking it again. Do you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, the answer to that question, are you a Christian, is answered simply, as Paul puts it in Romans 10 verse 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You are a Christian and you are called into his righteousness and given this beautiful news to share with the world around us. Amen. Amen.